0: Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining us at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. You can check out the podcast at YouTube as well as basically anywhere that you check out podcasts be it Apple, Google, Spotify, and other platforms. Check us out at patreon.com backslash I Patrons will be getting... Uh, quite a bit of content this month with uh, short film blocks from the Rangade Film Festival, which I did last week, and uh, as well as my Oscar discussion, as well as my breakdown of my favorite movie scores of 2021, and that is going to be at patreon.com So there are actually, it's funny, there's, there's actually quite a few pretty big uh anniversaries coming out this year uh but there are a few bigger i would argue than the 50th anniversary of francis ford coppola's the godfather and uh this is a discussion that um, my guest and i had been kind of toying with for a little bit like ever since we first started talking about having him on the podcast and he is the host of the movie loop podcast which i was grateful enough to join in january to discuss silent cinema it's a pleasure to have him back for this discussion on the godfather this is carlo from the movie loot thank you very much
1: and thank you for having me again brian
0: uh wait what do you have going on in the movie loot i know last last month you did romantic comedies we did silent films in january wait what do you have coming up in march
1: well, uh, we just uh, also released, uh, at the end of February, we, we released a special episode number 10 dedicated to the Silence of the Lambs, uh, just one scene from Silence of the Lambs. Um, we just, rec- we already recorded our next episode, which, which will be dedicated to the Oscars, this year's Oscars, um, and we're pretty much almost set for, for all the year, I have, I have almost all gear set up already I think I only have like two or three months uh, still to 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 settle but other than that we have a lot of great stuff in store
0: all right yeah and I I really enjoy the format that you have over there uh, whether it's doing deep dives into this into certain discussions like we did with the uh, silent films or some of the other ones where you're basically going through, some of the movies that you uh, watch throughout the month and picking specific criteria, it's really a fun uh, podcast to listen, and I definitely uh, recommend it for people to check out.
1: Thank you. thank you. thank you.
0: So we are here to talk about the Godfather, and um this is this is one of th- this is one of the landmarks of the modern age of movies, I think. It's pretty safe to say, and uh, it's based on the novel by Mario Puzo, who co-wrote the screenplay with Francis Ford Coppola, and uh, it was the Best Picture winner for the 1972 movie year, and uh, it won Marlon Brando Best Actor, and but did not win Coppola Best Director, surprisingly. That went to Bob Fosse for Cabaret, I know when when first of all, when did you start, when did you watch The Godfather for the first time?
1: I really I was starting to think when preparing for the podcast, I was trying to think what was the first time, and it wasn't the Godfather is not a staple in local television. I live in Puerto Rico. Um, so it's not a staple, like maybe it is in the in the States. I've heard that it, it's kind of a staple maybe in Thanksgiving or, or around that time, mm-hmm. but it isn't here. So I, I'm pretty sure I got to it when I started to get into films more seriously, probably in the 90s when I was in college or around that time. Uh, but but I think it's one of those uh, checkboxes that I did pretty early when I started to really dig into, into movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know for me it was kind of that. I think it was in high school was when I got to uh, watching it, or maybe if I just graduated from high school, it was somewhere in like that 94 to 96 range uh, for me. Yeah. I know it was before the 20th anniversary. I actually have not taken a chance to see the uh, restoration in theaters. Um, maybe I'll get a chance to this week. We'll see. But uh, I I know that... Um, one of the things that even even as I was starting to get into films, even watching it, not only one of the things I always find kind of fascinating about this film is not only is it, is it an art artistically made film and, you know, won the Oscar for Best Picture, but it's also a very entertaining film. I think a lot of that has to do with the material that's drawing on and... You know, one of the things I've always heard about Puso's, uh t- novels that it's it's kind of pulpy. It's it's kind of it's kind of a pulpy mood One, it's not necessarily intended to be taken as a serious, a truly serious piece of literature. It's kind of like Peter Benchley's Jaws in that respect. But what Coppola does in his adaptation of it is he basically creates this just wonderful mosaic of basically basically making a de- defining a crime film as far as American culture goes.
1: Yeah, and one interesting thing is how to define this film. And I, because when people talk about crime films, uh, they tend to think about more, maybe more action oriented films. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against that definition. But I tend to think about this film more like a drama or yeah. a, a, even a family drama about people that happen to be criminals. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily like a crime film uh, with lots of action. It's just that they are criminals.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, and I I think that is that is definitely one of the more interesting aspects about the film is the fact that Coppola, um, basically does create this world that's very insular. I uh, it's 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 a very it doesn't have a lot of scope in terms of the locations that's taking place. I mean, we do have we do see Michael in Italy for a bit, but ultimately it's a very it's. It's, it's very much in New York and in that upper New York uh, crime family type world. And then as we go, and we can talk a little bit about the sequels, but especially when it comes to part two, you start to see that world expand. And I was actually, um, when I saw Matt Reeves' The Batman uh, a few weeks ago, one of the things that really stood out to me was one I and I likened it to The Godfather. And basically what Matt Reeves does with Gotham is that it's a very insular world. It's very much focused on Gotham as as an environment. And then you just see and it starts out with Batman, starts out with Penguin, Catwoman, all of them. And then you see that world just expand as you get to Know those characters as you follow those characters, and it was, it was, and one of the things that I'm so fascinated by is when a filmmaker is able to create that type of world and just effortlessly create this epic, sprawling narrative around
1: it. I I love, I love the world that you, the word that you used earlier, word mosaic, because. Like you said, there are so many pieces coming together into this film. There are so many uh, factors and characters and and little little stories that combine into what we see in the end. Um, you see, you start seeing, the, you start watching the film, and even thirty minutes in, the full story hasn't. I, I mean. Michael hasn't even come into place, which yeah. who, who eventually uh, becomes the main character of, of the whole trilogy, right? But 30 minutes in, you barely see Michael, and, and I love that uh, setup, and, and maybe we'll get to it um, uh, later, but I love the, the setup of the, the, the wedding. Yeah. The wedding it's an excellent opening scene, and it sets up so many pieces and so many characters and so many stories. It, it it's an excellent uh, staging ground for everything that's going to happen after.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that wing sequence. Uh, when I rewatched the movie Friday in preparation for uh, this for this discussion, that wing sequence sequence is just brilliant in the way that Coppola constructs it because of the fact that you you start out with um you know you start on the Don's uh office and he's hearing he, he's hearing these you know he's hearing people you know ask him for favors on uh his on Connie's wedding day and you also not only do you get an idea of who he is, who Tom Reagan is, to basically who every character is. Like every character, to a certain extent, is at least developed, at least in terms of who they are at the beginning. And even if we don't necessarily know where that's going to take them moving forward, and you you get brush. You get broad strokes about Michael, you get broad strokes about Fredo and Sonny and Connie and Kay. You you get these ideas of who these characters are. You see Clemenza, you see Tessio, and you like you said, you get the pieces in place for where the narrative's going to go, even if you're not entirely sure. And starting out with the uh Mortuary, um, the Undertaker's speech of, of, of "I believe in America," and you know how he, and it's like you're you're basically telling the audience essentially what the thesis is of why the Corleones to so many people are important because of the fact that, and it's it's funny just and it's interesting how. To consider just how much of that, to a certain extent, there's still a little bit of truth to the idea that the justice system in America is not just. And so, you know, it, it you you start to think about your own the the morality of what the Corleones might have to offer to somebody.
1: Yeah, and. and... It's a it's a perfect setup for for everything because when when Bonacera starts saying I believe in America and and he starts making this request to uh, Don for for justice, um, it's because he sees uh, like you said the, uh, the 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 justice system failed him and he's reverting to this uh, second option, but. Behind all that, and and it's something that that is maybe more expanded on the, on the sequel, but you see it here at least mentioned. You can see that what is this America that he's talking about? Um, and ultimately, this is an America that that it's broken. An America that that's uh, where where criminals are the ones that are. Uh, Making "quote-unquote" justice, where powerful people are the ones that thrive, where the weak are maybe pushed down, where senators can be bought over, uh, which is the 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 chip that that the families are trying to bargain for. You know, you have to put all of the senators in your pocket, and and we want a share of that. Uh, and and this is the America that. They are talking about an America yeah. that is ultimately broken in terms of justice and politics and economics and and whatnot. And I think it's really interesting that the film starts that way.
0: Yeah, and uh, you and Gordon Willis's Gordon Willis's cinematography is justifiably iconic and memorable. And uh, you know, one of the things that you you notice in it is the use of shadows and the use of just contrasts of light. Like, you have the light, the brightness of what the weather looks outside in the wedding versus the darkness of Vito's um, office. And you see that throughout the film as far as, like, whether you're in that office versus when you're out of that office. And the way they use the light is is the way they use lighting, the way they use uh, different, you know, different atmospheres, different times of day, just is really, really quite impactful. and it's one of the it's one of the movies that really makes the case for why great cinematography is an important part of the storytelling process.
1: Yeah, definitely. And uh, like you said, this, the, uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe deviate a bit, but uh, it, this, this reminds me of probably my favorite scene from the sequel, and probably one of my favorite scene, if not my favorite scene of all time from any movie, which is the scene between uh, Michael and, and Fredo at the uh, at the house in in mm-hmm. Tahoe, um, and, and it's a scene where they're talking uh, in this uh, room. Extremely dark, and I've always seen. And I, I, I even uh, recorded a podcast about this. And I, and I say, it is cold outside because it is snowing outside, but it is dark inside, which is I always see as a representation of Michael's persona: yeah. uh, cold outside and dark inside. And I think you can see something of, of that here, uh, but in respect to Vito, uh, it, mm-hmm. it is maybe hot, warm outside, which is more of his persona. Vito is warmer than, than, than Michael, uh, and, and gentler and, and kinder, uh, quote unquote. Right. But it is still dark. There's still darkness inside. And that's mm-hmm. what you see when he's doing his business in the, in this office. Um, and, and something that, that struck me, I, I think, you know, it, it has always struck me, uh, a lot, but I think I picked up on it more this time when I was watching it, but it's the thing that these people are constantly saying, you know, this is business, this is not family or don't mix family with yeah. business, and yet everything they're doing is pretty much mixed up with family.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> here, 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 you have, here you have a wedding and during the wedding, they're making this "Quote unquote business transactions," um, and you see it all across the across the movie. I mean, the, uh, business and family is so intertwined all throughout the film uh, that you can you can separate it. I mean, even towards the end, Michael refers constantly to the family business, the family business, uh, and that uh, mix-up of things uh, obviously extends to to to. The, the consequences of it all for for a lot of the family members
0: yeah that's an inter. yeah that is an that is an interesting very interesting point and uh yeah it, it basically like like you said there really is not anything it, it it just goes to show that for people like the Corleones I mean really anybody it's like you can say it's business And not personal, but there's always gonna be a personal aspect to it. I mean, you're you're right, there's not a personal there's always a personal aspect to the way the actions are to what actions happen here. Whether it's the Don being shot down early on in the film when he when when he when he rejects the proposition of uh getting in the drug business or Sonny going after the tatalias and the other crime families in retaliation, or you know michael you know or or Michael gunning, you know he says you know it's it's not personal, it's strictly business when he's going to you know when he's going to the restaurant, but the fact of the matter is it's like of course it's personal for him because of the fact that he wants to. He he's going to get revenge and as much as yeah. he wants to say it. Um but yeah, you're the as an excellent point on the uh use of uh light and darkness, especially when it comes to Vito, and one of the things that's really interesting about Vito Corleone in this movie is the fact that he is you you get the you get the sense that Age has maybe, and you don't really notice it completely until the second one where you see the rise of Vito Corleone and the De Niro performance, but as, as he's gotten older, you, you kind of, because really Vito Corleone in this movie does not want anybody killed even even the person who wants justice for his daughter he's like don't don't kill this person just just you know just injure him you know and so he he doesn't want vengeance against the people who've been trying to take his family down he wants to make peace for his family and you know the the biggest victim, really, that we see Vito, you know, have is the horse, the producer's horse. And uh, it's, it's really, and that is one of those things that just really, it's one of those moments where you start to see the contrast in the way he operates things to the way that Michael was going to operate things as he gets close more and more into this world.
1: Yeah, and obviously we, there's a gap between what what we see from Vito uh, from his rise, which is very 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 early on in his rise uh, in Godfather Two, and when we see him here in the Godfather. So there's a gap there, with, which maybe we don't know he did business during that time um, and how he handled things. But but I agree. I think that uh, juxtaposition of how. Vito uh, did business, and how Michael, uh, who shows to be, uh, proves to be more cold and ruthless, um, it, it does his his uh, his thing. And I think that extends. I mean, you can see there's a difference. And I go back to to what I said about Vito's warmth and and, and quote unquote kindness. Um, you can even see that in his relationship with his wife, and and it's something that I at least wanted to bring at some point. Um, I think the role of of um, Vito's wife is, even though it's mostly a background role, uh, it's I think it's really important because you can see, despite what I was saying, you can see there's a there's a separation. I mean, there's a respect of 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 what we're doing and how we are doing it which is something that Michael could not achieve with K. yeah uh, he he wasn't able to to achieve that with K, and and you see uh the consequences of it later on the on the other on the other movies um and you even see at some points uh uh Beatles wife even intercede at some point don't don't interfere uh, I think it's um when they're having dinner uh and, and Sonny uh, after Beles I think uh was was injured and they are having dinner and Sony's talking business at the table and they're started like like uh, fighting or, or arguing and, and she says no don't interfere and and you can see a bit of that I, I there's definitely a difference in, in both uh, and, and I think that's a, a very 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 strong point and, and strong uh, message that the film sending through uh, if if that is what ultimately is the downfall of Michael, uh, we don't know. But at least we saw that Vito managed to have a "quote unquote" <laughs> relatively successful run
0: yeah.
1: uh, as a don. But even even despite that, that, you can you can see that he probably achieved that that uh, that role as Godfather. Uh, not by keeping his his heads clean I mean when he uh, meets with all the families and he throws that veiled threat when he says uh, if anything happens to my son any accident if he's shot by some police or if some lightning bolt mm-hmm. uh, hits him uh, some people here are gonna are gonna pay for that yeah. uh, so you, you can see that that he's obviously a threatening figure and, and he probably, had to dearly up his hands at some point, but he's at his, he he's at a point in his career where, where he doesn't need that and maybe he doesn't want that. I don't know if it's regret or or or, uh, or something, but uh, or or that uh, aspirations of legitimacy that that also Michael wants or or thinks he wants, but but I think it's an interesting contrast.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it it's hard to it's hard to think about just the first film on its own terms without considering at least the first sequel. Um, yeah, and because of the fact that like this one is about essentially the the fall of Vito Corleone and the rise of Michael, whereas in the second one you see the rise of Vito Corleone and the eventual fall of Michael. And yeah. uh, you get that contrast. It's just such a huge, sprawling narrative. You really—it's hard to see one without the other. Um, and it's—it's uh, it's just really the way that Coppola envisioned this as a filmmaker, as a writer. I, uh, you know, and and just just really looking at this from the. As as you know, and it's funny because of the fact that I mean, Coppola is very much in in a way. There, the, to a certain extent, you could almost say Coppola is sort of become a godfather in his own right because of you see how much of his family has become filmmakers, and to a certain extent, how some of his his family his the the people who have come after him have sort of have sort of taken taken the reins from him little bit, as opposed to uh you know him just being this towering towering presence.
1: yeah and and, and the way he the 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 grasp he had on the filmmaking business during the seventies i mean mm-hmm. and, and now he's uh semi retired and now that he's coming back, he's probably saying at some point, just when I thought I was out, they <laughs> dragged me back in. <laughs> Yeah. Let, let's hope that that he he gets to make that final film.
0: I I do too because I know he was he was originally going to make uh Megapolis in uh around the time that 9-11 happened and that's part of the reason why he ended up shelving yeah. it. Uh, so I do I do hope he gets he's able to get that off the ground and uh, at least give us one one last big epic. Yeah, but yeah, you're right about him in the seventies. He he's just such a like. Few filmmakers have had quite a run as The Godfather, The Godfather 2, The Conversation, and Apocalypse Now. I mean that that's yeah. that's that's just as much of an all-timer run of films as anything. And as much as I love The Godfather, I do think Apocalypse Now is probably his best film of that, just because of how much he was able to wrestle the chaos of that production. <laughs> into something yeah. <laughs> that is just absolutely singular as as a story
1: yeah 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 you definitely have to give him credit for that because um to make something when you see uh, we did talk a bit about uh hearts of darkness right uh, in our documentary episode, yeah. but to to think that he could make something so great uh and at least coherent uh out of the mess that 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 was uh, the the film you know, that it's it's impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh, I would of course be remiss if I didn't mention the score for Nina from Nina Rota, who is was uh, Fellini's longtime composer. Um, that's what he's best known for outside of The Godfather. Didn't win an Oscar for this. wasn't even nominated for technical reasons. Um I'm I'm still kind of baffled by that. The the, the the music branch of the Academy always kind of baffles me as far as, like, why some movie, why some, why some scores get nominated over or are considered over others. And, uh, yeah, this, this is one of the, I mean, he eventually, he won for part two, which, you know, is kind of the definition of, well, how much of that is truly original, but, you know. They, they, then, them them and I have very different definitions of what constitutes an original score. But, uh, no, it's, it's just such. You, you listen to that theme and, uh, just starting out, and it just really captures, captures your attention. And, uh, it's, it's so mournful. It's so beautiful. It's, it and it's used in so many different ways in this movie, and I, I just absolutely, I've always been just completely transfixed by this score.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a beautiful, beautiful score. Um, I'm, I'm not a musician, so I, I, I listen to the score, I love it, but it's not something that, that I can probably grasp my head around or, or, or fully analyze, but it definitely has those Qualities that you mentioned is very, very mournful, very, very uh, subdued, and and it it has a presence of its own. I mean, you you listen to bits of the notes of that of that score, and you can actually you can immediately recognize uh, this is The Godfather.
0: Yeah. Uh, Who do you think? Who do you think gives the best performance in this movie?
1: Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um okay uh I have three um that I juggle uh back and forth um and I think my top my top spot is uh, al Pacino. Mm-hmm. um and maybe my second and, and I don't know if this, this maybe might be surprising but Robert Duval is amazing this film mm-hmm. I mean, he's 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 incredible and I think it's the most subtle or, or nuanced performance of, of the bunch. Yeah. I think, um, he's he's amazing. I mean, I, I even wrote it, I, I was taking my notes and at some point I wrote, uh, Duval is amazing in this, <laughs> which is something that I've always been aware of, but, but I had to write it down, you know, I have to say this. Um, and, and and then Brando. Brando Brando is great. Um I may I might not be as not be as hot in his performance as others, uh given that I'm putting two other above him. Uh but but it's great. It's it's definitely great. And one thing that I, I wanted to bring up because I it, I found out this week that Brando was forty something, 40 or 40, 40, forty. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the makeup is is amazing, yeah. and, and you don't notice it because the way he acts, uh, his his all his physical performance. Uh, you can swear this is a man in his sixties, and, and this is a, a a man that is ill and, and aging and and all that. And so it's great.
0: Yeah, you yeah. A lot of people. I mean. So many people focus on the method aspects of Brando's performance, like the cotton balls in the mouth and, uh, you know, the cat and all of that stuff. But his his performance is just it. It's it's captivating from one minute to the next. And you look and then you look at a scene, one of the scenes in the the scene in this movie that always is heart wrenching. Is when he's been brought home after gang shot, and he asks about Michael and tom and Tom and uh, Sonny tell him what you know what happened, and uh, you can just see his heart break because he never you you know he never wanted that for Michael and it was something that wasn't really it, it was something that wasn't really verbally made clear early in the film. But you kind of you kind of noticed it just based on the fact that Michael was a war hero, Michael was somebody who stands stands aside from the life that Sonny and Fredo and Tom are part of. And uh it's it's just it that's that moment is just such a beautiful piece of acting from Brando. It's so subtle too, and then you have this scene where he finds out that Sonny's been killed, and it's he he just has so many wonderful moments that that it's one of those things where you really you know it's like Brando in the later part of his career is kind of. You know, he, he's kind of a joke to a certain extent with and he's kind of you hear about the troubled nature of like filmmakers who had to work with him, how, how much of a struggle it was. But he, he's got these little grace notes, these little moments in this performance that really remind you why he was considered one of the great actors. And why in maybe the great actor coming out when he did
1: yeah and uh, I mean I, when I grew up I, all, all I knew about Brando was this later films on his career uh, I didn't get to his first films until maybe the last the last 10 20 years um, but uh, even even around that time because I was listening to an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with Christopher Reeve, where he says uh, that Brando's heart wasn't in in, in, in the filming of Superman. Like, yeah. I know he's not into it and, and he doesn't care. He ultimately doesn't care. We all know that that, that Brando ha- had a complicated, uh, like he said, later career, um, his relationship with the Hollywood system uh, was was definitely the best. Even with Coppola in Apocalypse Now, I mean, uh, <laughs> we all know uh, about that. Um, and and later on, it becomes like you said, more of a joke. I mean, the score, the island, Doctor Moreau, uh, all the, the the stories that you hear about whatever happened during the filming of those uh, movies is maybe more interesting than the films itself. Yeah, um, but. He, he, he's so great in this, and like you said, there are so many little things, so many little gestures, so many fa- facial expressions, uh, raising of an eyebrow, the, the, the nod of, a, of the head, um, so many little details, I mean, even little, little things like, even something as inconsequential as the cat, um, yeah. which I read, I don't know if it's true or not, but I read that he picked up the cat like it was a stray cat or something that he brought to 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 set to filming, <laughs> uh, and it's become such an icon of of <laughs> of of that that uh, Don persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but so such great things, and the thing that and you mentioned it. But I think the thing that we get more of his character. There, especially towards the later, the, the second half of the film, is regret, yeah. um, and, and you see that regret even, for, even from the moment when uh, Michael sort of takes up the takes up the mantle of Don, and when they tell him that uh, no, uh, so, um, Michael is the one that that killed Soloso, and. His face. He said, "No, you know, get everybody out. I don't want to deal with this right now." And his conversation in the in the yard with Michael, which is which is an excellent moment. I never wanted this for you. Uh, I, I always wanted. Uh, uh, he says something like, like um, he, he, "There there are a, a lot of his lines have to do with regret and and how he regrets that." Uh, this happened to Michael, or how he regrets that things are not we. But on the, in the background, you can see I, I regret maybe that the the life choices that I made. Yeah, uh, and and he he transmits that with with his expression and not just his words, but his facial expression and his all his demeanor.
0: Yeah, and uh, especially even even the especially the scene with uh, you know where he finds out that Sonny has been killed, and you you. You that that's one of those first moments where, that's one of those moments where you really start to see that regret where it's like, you know, what have I done to for this to happen to my family? And it's one of those things where you you realize that for, for the Don he, family means more to him than anything. And, uh, you know, you get that early on in the wedding where it's like, you know, he won't have the Wayne pictures taken without Michael. Michael's got to be there. Otherwise, no, I'm not interested. And uh, you know, and so that's that's just one of those things where, but he's also very aware of the fact that you know, if he's, you know, with Carlo, with uh, Connie's husband, new husband, it's like Give him a living, but don't give him don't make him a part of the family business. And yeah, you know, you that's a little seed right there where it's like you start to wonder, it's like, is that the reason why Carlo is become such a is so abusive towards Connie? Does he feel like he's been passed over? does he does he feel like he's been disrespected? and that's why because I mean you it's hard to imagine that he will have been like that with her before they got married so it's like what's changed after they got married does he just feel entitled to do it is that a part of just who he is or is it a part of something where it's like you know is, is, is that something that's just simmering along the surface where you know, because of the fact that it's a choice, the choice that Vito made to not give, bring him in on the family business, is that the reason why Carlo does the things that he does? And it's, it's really uh, that weighing sequence is brilliant because it sets into motion so many of the things that we're going to see throughout the rest of the film, whether we understand those things or not. I mean that little thing between Tom and Vito, where he tells Tom, "It's like give him a living, but don't you know talk to him about the business."
1: It's great that you that you bring that up because I don't know if if uh, Carlos' decisions were based on on that specifically, and that's uh, an excellent point to to maybe mull over. Um, but it also reminds me how this film is in many ways at the construction of uh, this illusion of masculinity and, yeah. and, and what is strong man. Um, and, and you see it in pretty much every character, uh, every, not the old characters, but uh, you see it in Sony, you see it in Fredo, you see it in, in, in uh, uh, Michael uh, and Carlo unsuccessful marriages um, uh, unable to to hold relationships uh, the uh, you see Sonny's uh, being a uh, uh, with other women, uh, you see Fredo uh, is, we don't see a lot of Fredo's family, not even in the second film, but in the second film you see, uh, he's with a new woman, I think, or with something, but he's with with many women and he, you know, he's banging waitress, two. Yeah. too. <laughs> um, but you see, uh, yeah, obviously Michael, you see Michael uh, marriage with Kay, which and you know what, what it will become. Um, so there's this sense about, uh, what what does it mean to be a man? And even the Don says to to, to one of them at some point. You know, he had, it, I think he says it to to Johnny Fontaine. Said you need to spend uh, time with your family. If you don't spend time with your family, you're not a man. Yeah. Um, but but they're all they all fail in that aspect of uh, being a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I love how the film puts the spotlight. On that on the other hand you see Don like uh, like I mentioned earlier uh manages to have a successful relationship that you can see yeah. they care about each other in, in whatever little we see of of, of the of, uh, of the mother uh, I think she, she's called Dorotea I don't remember but but because we barely uh see her uh but I think that's her name and we see Clemenza uh, happens to have a successful marriage or at least that's what we see um but not the young ones yeah and 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 it says a lot about you know uh, what are what this new breed of of men uh that i don't know but it, it, i think it, it does a great job of putting the spotlight on that
0: yeah i mean i think that's an excellent point and uh you know it, it michael in this in this case, is very interesting because of the fact that it's like we see him... He he starts out with K, and you you get the impression that, you know, yes, they care about each other. You don't know whether it's necessarily love, but you can tell there's something that they care about. He They care about each other, but also Michael understands that if he kills Solasso and McCleskey... He's going to have to get away from Kay and be away from Kay and not say goodbye, and uh, it's it's actually kind of funny to consider that. And then when he meets Apolline, uh, when he meets Apollonia, uh, Apollina in uh, Sicily, you know he. A lot of people, I know, I think Roger, Roger Eber brought this up in his Great Movies review of the film. He, he brought it up as, like, now that, now that Michael is more a part of the world that his family is in, he can't go back to K. He, he has to have a wife that is understanding of sort of that world. And to for him, Apollina kind of, def- is, kind of represents that. Uh, you know, being Italian, being, you know, being, being somebody that, you know, he can, he can kind of, he, you know, he has affection for, but at the same time, you, you kind of get the feeling that he might in her, he might see like, you know, the relationship that he and his father and his mother have uh, down the road of where it's like, it's, it's loving, but it's also understanding of what the life is. And then when she's killed, you know, that's when we that's the last time we see of him in Italy. And that's at that moment where Vito's trying to bring him back. And the next thing we see is, you know, Kay comes back and it or Kay's comes back into the picture, but it's over a year later. And you kind of wonder it's like, well, why did it take him so long to to reach out to her? And is it just because he was being cautious or is it because of the fact that he wasn't quite sure whether he could bring her into what his life is going to be now? And uh, you definitely see the difference between the two from that opening before he killed Solasso and uh, McCleskey to the ending where he they're back and they're reunited and they get married and have a family, starts to have a family, but there's a distance. And I mean, of course that distance is perfectly, uh, illustrated in the, the climax of the film, which will send emotion, to everything we see between them in part two.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I, I, one of the things I, I wrote in, in my notes, and um, maybe it's like you said, maybe what he sees in Apollonia is someone like his mother, is someone that that will, uh, with, with whom he, he can have a relationship, uh, but there can be that divide, something that maybe with Kay wouldn't be possible and we know it's not possible. Uh, but I also wonder and this is something obviously that the film does, doesn't and can't answer but I always wonder if this time in, in Italy, in Sicily could could have been his out yeah. I mean if, if it could have been his way out of this and if he didn't have to come back if he would have stayed there maybe managed to get out of the family uh, and, and not get into this crime but there's always this uh, and, and I'm gonna use a word that I heard on another podcast, uh, but I think it's someone something that it's uh, always present, and, it, and it's obviously there in the film, and it's the inevitability of him becoming the Don. Yeah. I mean, it, it was inevitable. Uh, yeah. This was uh, telegraphed from the beginning, and this was meant to happen. And when you see all the other uh, all, all his brothers. You see, Sonny. You see, Fredo. You see him, and you you know that he was the one meant to be done.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because of the fact, I mean, you know, you don't even need to necessarily see Fredo to know that he doesn't necessarily have the personality for it. And then that's further accentuated in the uh, trip to Vegas with Mo Green, and uh, you know, he he's he's always going to be somebody who he he's he's essentially going to be a follower. But, you know, because of the fact that he's older than Michael, he's always gonna feel like he should have been considered more of a more of a vital part of the family than he really is. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about Carlo and uh Connie. We haven't really talked about Talia Shire. Uh this is I mean, this is arguably her her biggest uh, performance and biggest role outside of uh, Rocky, I I'm not sure that I think it's a it it's it, well okay I I think it's kind of unfair to uh, it would be unfair to to uh, I I think really kind of rate her performance because all she's essentially asked to do for the most part is basically yell and be angry at Carlo and then after he's killed, yell and be angry at Michael, she's not really given much as a character. And that's kind of... If, if I had one complaint, that might be it about the film. But, I mean, even that, you know, the, the rest of the movie is so well developed that it's it's hard to see that, that is, even that is necessarily a... It's, it's not a good thing for Talia Shire in terms of her performance, but it's not necessarily a deal-breaker when it comes to the movie as a whole.
1: And it, yeah, I, Maybe you can say even the same about uh, uh, Kay and Diane Keaton, because great as she is, she doesn't get as much to do. What, what little she does, she, she does great, but she doesn't get as much to do um, as she does in obviously in the later films and the same applies to Tyler Shire. I mean, she she obviously gets a lot more to do in the next two films, uh, especially in the third one. Um, but I think it also says a lot. Uh, the message that I was, uh, the message that I think the, one of the messages that the film I think is trying to transmit, and this is about uh, the role of men and the role of women and how men are supposed to be, you know, the, 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 the ones that have control, uh, but ultimately can't. Um, and I think that even there are a couple of lines that, that say, you know, ah, oh, I, uh, I don't remember who it says, I oh, you know, children and women can do this or that, but we men have to behave like this and this and this. Um, and I think it it, it allows these female characters, uh, and and I think that we see it in in, in Connie to say, you know, if if I want a a seat at the table, so to speak, or if I want uh, to have some agency uh, in my life, I need to act like this and I need to do this. And obviously, if we expand this to to the next two films, uh, like I said, especially in the third one where she has more meat to chew on, uh, you can see that she becomes uh, as ruthless as his brothers Mm -hmm. and as his father.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I I know one of the big kind of debates when it comes to at least the first two, I mean, everybody basically agrees that the third one is considerably lesser than the first two films. Um, but there's, it, I know as I've growing up and starting to get more and more into movies, you know, there's always been this, Question of whether the first one is better, whether the second one is better, whether you can really like separate them. Uh, have you ever had a preference of is is the first one the one that you would prefer? Or would you or do you would you say the second one is better?
1: I don't I don't know <laughs> um I I tend to go back and forth. Um, I I think both are excellent, and I I usually see them as just one. One continuous story. Yeah, uh, and I, 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 it's hard for me to separate them. I think that the more, which you mentioned earlier, uh, the more um, smaller scope, so to speak, of the of the first one. I think it's a benefit to the film, um, but I don't think that the the second one when when. Uh, expanding the scope i don't think it loses it, it loses uh, focus i think it, it it's great as well my favorite scene like i said of pretty much uh, i think of every film is the scene like i mentioned of fredo and 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 michael uh, it, it's obviously on the second one but i think i can make a case for three or four scenes in the original that i would rank just about as highly and and i wish i we can get at least one uh which is my favorite just to 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 talk a bit about it um but but they're they're great and i even i will throw a bone to the third one which usually gets uh gets a bad rap uh and i think the third one gets too much undeserved hate yeah. i think the third one uh it's a it's a great film on, uh, on its own. It just suffers from being the third part. On I mean, the follow-up to two of the greatest films, pretty much made uh, of all time. Yeah. Um, I think it has issues. Um, I think this is a case where the scope, I think, gets a bit out of hand, and I think the story is a bit more convoluted. Uh, I think the the absence of Dubal was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mean, the studio should have given given him whatever he wanted. I mean, yeah, we they needed to have that man in uh, yeah. there, and, and and I think that doesn't work as much as I like the the I don't remember the name of the guy that that, that replaces him, Brian something. I think, um, it, which is, he's good, but he but I mean, he's not he's not Robert De No. Um. And, and I'm not even I'm not even gonna I, I usually defend Sofia Coppola because obviously she stepped in at the last minute and I understand um, that she wasn't an actress and, and but I, I know that, uh, that one has issues but I think it's a great film as well. I've ranked it very, very highly and it has one of the greatest scenes also. If I were to, to mention great scenes on, across all three films the the confession scene uh, when Michael finally confesses to, to the to the uh, Archbishop, I think. Uh, I think that's a great move. scene. And, and, and it, it, I mean, not as great as the first two, but yeah. I think it's a great film.
0: No, I, I definitely agree with you on the third one. I have not seen the uh, Coda yet, the, the re, re-edit that just came out a couple of years ago. I'm kind of waiting yeah, for the... I haven't uh, seen it yet. Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, 4K uh, box of all three to do that because I do want to see it. I mean, I'm curious and I agree, but yeah, I agree with you. The third one is definitely, it It definitely gets a lot of undeserved hate. I mean, there is, there are some complaints like Sophia Coppola's performance that are kind of justified the absence of Tom Reagan. Um, but there, there are also some really great moments in that too. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know after I, after I had seen the first two, I probably would have said the second one is the best, but I I do think as as I've watched them more, the first one definitely stands out as the more significant one and as the overall better one, just because of the fact that it is so much more, I think it's so much more streamlined, it's so much more focused on what it's trying to say. You know, it's not to say that the uh, the... The back and forth in the narrative in two doesn't work. It's just that there are times where the Michael story in two doesn't quite grab you quite as much as the uh, rise of uh, Vito Corleone, the De Niro scenes in in two do. And uh, but yeah, there there are so many great moments in this. Like like I told you, I was taking notes the other. Dane, I basically just stopped at a certain point because it's like, I, I mean, I've seen this enough to where it's like, yeah, you can you can basically think back on moments that you absolutely love. Um, you know, but the thing that is so rich about this movie is the the supporting cast. And you have Abe Vigoda as Tessio. You have Sterling Hayden as McCluskey. You have Richard Castan- Cassiano as Clemenza. Um... I mean, you have Jack Woltz, uh, John Marley as Jack Woltz. You have Al Lettieri as Sozzo. Um, You know, you have uh, Alex Rocco's Mo Green. It's it's just such a it. You have Lenny Montana as Luca Brazzi, who in a couple of scenes just completely defines that character yeah. right away, and you. You see that like, you know, when when uh, Tom Reagan's telling Soloso, it's like you're you're not going to be able to call off, you know, is so not gonna be able to call off Luca Brazzi. And of course Luca Brazzi we know is already dead. And uh, you know, but you believe Tom when says that because of the fact that we've we've seen who Luca Brazzi is. We see how much how devoted he is to the Don. And, I mean, this, this is one of those movies where it's, like, you, it's an embarrassment of riches as far as what the, how much of the cast is. And it's one of those things that I also liked about the Batman, to go back to that comparison, where it's, like, it's not just... It's, it felt like one of the first Batman movies that wasn't just about this, the main three or four characters. It, there are moments for, like, every significant character to the plot. And I really love that about that and I, I do feel like that's something that they learned from The Godfather
1: oh, you're, gonna, you're making me want to watch uh, The Batman, I need to get on that <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, definitely every, every, every supporting character is great, and you mentioned Luca Brasi and he has uh, a Few great moments. Uh, I love how you see him rehearsing his speech outside of, of yeah. the Don's office, and then he, even when he walks in, he fumbles it and has to pull pull out a paper. Uh, so y- you get to see uh, that he's maybe not the not the brightest bulb, uh, but but very devoted, very very dedicated, and very. Uh, so th- like we said earlier, those are just some of the stories that you see. Uh, introduced during that wedding. And I love uh, how we get all of that uh, in those those brief moments. Um, Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine is great. Uh, yeah. I, I don't remember the name of the actor, but he's great. I love the scene when uh, Michael is finally, you know, uh, recollecting his dues and saying, you know, um, that that don't help you before, so now you're gonna have to uh, sing at the studio, at at the at the hotels, and maybe you can get some more people from the movies. And his expression is, uh, it's priceless because you see, you know, I'm tied up. There's a face of I'm doing this, but I don't really want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I because it, it's a debt I have, and it's a debt I I don't want, but it's a debt I have. So uh, I love I love that that little scene
0: what what are were what some of you know we we've touched on a couple of uh couple of our favorite scenes where where are some more of the ones that really stand out for you
1: oh man um i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna mention two um and I think they are probably two of the most iconic and i'm gonna start with not my favorite but uh, I think the whole scene uh where Michael uh, at the at the diner or at the restaurant with McCloskey and and, and so it's an excellent scene. I mean mm-hmm. um, I love how uh, Coppola Coppola is so patient to to build that um, and the way the tension he builds that um, and I love Pacino's expression in his face and the way Coppola fixes on, on his face and He draws that. I mean, as you know, Michael gets some clear um, hints of what to do from Clemenza. You know, you have to do this, you have to release the gun, you have to let it fall, you have to come out. And Sonny says says the same, you know, you have to come out banging and you have to two on the head to each. And he doesn't do any of that.
0: No, he doesn't.
1: It, it's funny because he doesn't do. He doesn't follow. It. No, he doesn't follow the instructions. I mean, he comes out and he just sits again and he listens to it and he waits and waits. And I love that 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 long pause as they are mm-hmm. talking and you can see the focus on, on, on Michael's face. is great. Um, and then he doesn't drop. I mean, he's he's pretty much he waits until he's just about outside of the of the as he's walking outside of the restaurant, that's when he drops it. Yeah. Um, but but I love that scene, I love that scene. And obviously, uh, any scene that you get, Sterling Hayden, I mean, such an icon of of, of film noir uh, and to see him there, it, it's great. But uh, my my favorite, my all time favorite scene from the first one is the hospital scene. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that scene, that whole scene, it's so great. And this is something that everybody Everybody will will say, it, but you know that it really becomes the dawn. I mean, and there are so many great little things that uh, Coppola and and Pacino uh, throw to throw out to us in that scene. I mean, you see how as soon as Michael walks, as soon as Michael steps out, steps into the front of the hospital, and he looks like. Where is everybody? I mean, there isn't anybody here. Um, he walks in and he's like a detective. I mean, yeah. it is something like it's born out of him because he sees um, a, a, like like some sandwiches that were left, and you know, his 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 brain is already working out something is happening here, uh, and he's so quick on his feet to think what needs to be done. Uh, as soon as he's making the call, he quickly tells the nurse, "Wait, nurse, don't go." you're gonna need, you're gonna have to help me, and we're gonna need to. Okay, we have to move uh, my father here, and he knows exactly what to say. Um, you know who my father is. People are coming to kill to, to kill him. Um, he knows how to deal with Enzo. You know, yeah. Go there. I mean, it's such a great scene, uh, and and it's not something that you see. Um, it it feels organic. It feels. Uh, like it was meant or inevitable, like like we were saying earlier, uh, it, it was meant to happen. There was no escape in this. And, and maybe you can wonder if he wanted to escape from yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, uh, the times that he, he says to Kay, um, this is not who I am, I'm different. Was he? <laughs> is he really different? Um, but But that 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 whole sequence. I mean, you, you see the scene at the hospital. Then you see when he when they are planning the the solosol hit. Yeah. And he's sitting on the chair and everybody's you know and he's saying, "Oh, we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to." And he has it all. I mean, he has control. Yeah. He, he's on top of everything. And and, and then obviously the the, uh, the scene at the at the restaurant, which is the culmination of that, and obviously uh, how he starts his rise. Um, that's why I was thinking about that thing because just after that he goes to Italy and you know was it uh, was it too late for him, which is what I was asking earlier, or or did he still have time to you know walk out of this if uh, they hadn't killed Apollonia or he hadn't been brought back to to the states? I mean, but those three sequences, I mean, they are great. Uh, maybe because uh, Pacino is my favorite character, my favorite actor in the film. Because you see, he does so much with so little. Uh, he's so so cold, but you can see so much, so much uh, things working out in his brain that yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, you can definitely tell the analytical side. And yeah, the, you you mentioned the scene in the hospital. It you know, for somebody who isn't a part of the family business, he sure knows how to operate within what the family business would do. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that's it goes into that whole idea of the the mixer business and personal words like you you can't help but think of the two as intertwined in this movie. And the idea of um just just this idea is that the idea that you can combine you can separate the two in this is just not possible whatsoever because of the fact that so much of it is personally driven um of course i i adore the baptism scene where he takes out the all the people saying his way the use of the pascalian fugue in c minor by bach is to score that scene is just brilliant and of course there's the scene where um, Clemenza is uh, where Clemenza and Polly are driving and uh, Polly they, they kill Polly because he was not there for the Don. And of course there's the famous line it's like leave the gun, take the cannoli. And uh, you know that that scene is so great because of the fact that so much of it is done in montage. And you you never really see them interact face to face. You just you're seeing the car move, and then you're just hearing them in scenes that are very obviously ADR, like it's very clearly ADR recorded in a studio. Um, it's it's just really a uh, wonderful piece of storytelling on Coppola's point. Um, but yeah, I mean the baptism si- sequences terrific um the the resignation in tessio when he realizes that like yeah he's 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 done for at the end Uh, he's done he's done yeah yeah and then of course the scene where uh michael was telling carlo it's like don't don't play games with me i know you're the reason sonny's dead and uh, that, that, that whole sequence is just tremendous. But yeah, the hospital scene, I think, is definitely one of the, one of the peak ones as well. And, and yeah, that entire stretch from the hospital scene and yeah, the way he treats Enzo and the fact that Enzo is willing to go for it and you have that little moment where he's having a hard time lighting his cigarette. He's so nervous. It's, it's just, but Michael, you know, he, he holds that lighter. It's like, look, I look, I'm cool as a cucumber here. It's like, don't worry, don't get nervous. This is, you know, I, I just, we need you here. And then of course there's the moment where the, the favor from the beginning of the movie is paid off in that he, he has to make his son look presentable for his mother his wife. And yeah. it's just such a beautiful payoff to that that goes to this idea that the Donna's old age is not is not really interested in vengeance. He's he's interested in trying to get away from the violence that has consumed his life and consume his way of life over the years.
1: Yeah, and you you mentioned one of the things you mentioned uh, from, the, from the Clemenza and polly scene is the, the famous line, I mean, um, live, they're going to take the cannoli. And that's an, yet another instance where you see that business and family are really not separated at all because you hear as soon as he's living with Polly, I think you hear his wife saying, oh, don't forget the cannoli or something yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, and here you are, here you are, just shooting someone I say, "Okay, leave the canal, But remember the canali because my wife asked me to 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 bring the canali. Mm-hmm. So you can't separate that. Uh, it, it's just another example of that. And one of the things that I wanted to bring out, um, which is something now that you mention again, um, uh, the the favor with Bonacera, uh, is that Enzo, uh, the, the the baker, that's that was. Technically, that's another favor because you also see Enzo, the, the, um, the father of Enzo, asking for a favor, you know, that he he, uh, he was about to be expatriated to Italy and he wanted him to stay so he could marry mm-hmm. uh, someone, something like that. Uh, and it's something that you can see from the beginning that everything for this family is a business transaction.
0: Mm-hmm. Everything
1: is something that I'm doing because I, I I'm going to get something uh, in exchange, um, all from Bonacera to Enzo. There are so many instances that, that you see, I'm going to do this, but you have to do the to. You have to do something for me with Johnny, like, like we mentioned, um, earlier. And there was something that maybe, maybe it's a stretch. Maybe I'm, I'm picking Strasbourg or, but, Um, when Michael is explaining to Kay, who is Tom, he says, "Ah, you know, he's, uh, he's not, he's like our brother. Uh, He's not Sicilian. And you think, uh, you see that Vito picked him up when he was a kid, but was there any other purpose to bringing him in in the family? Um, I mean, Did Beto, What was Beto thinking? You know, I'm gonna bring this kid and I'm gonna take care of him, but eventually he's going to help me with this and this and this because he's not Sicilian, Mm -hmm. and I'm going. I'm going to groom him to to be my assistant, my lawyer, my conciliary. Um, so I I even had that in my mind. Maybe, like I said, I'm stretching. But uh, to go back to my point, you see how everything everything is like a business transaction. Luca Brasi. I mean, Luca Brasi comes and later on, you know, say, okay, call Luca Brasi, because we need him now. You're done needs you. Uh, and so Johnny, uh, uh, everybody, everybody's involved. And, and you see the thing that all these business transactions are being held, um, in, in, in a wedding, in a funeral, in a baptism, um, it, the office in the house. And another thing that, that, uh, I picked up. It's always there, but I kind of noticed more is that pretty much in every scene there are kids running around, screaming and playing and crying uh, in the middle of all this underworld business. And I think that's that's uh, uh, also notable.
0: Yeah. No. And uh, one of the one of the last things I want to bring up, uh, and uh, talking talking, and you. Talking about the fact that so much of this is a business transaction is, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, we know from what Vito said that he didn't want this life for Michael, but you listen to some of the things that he had aspirations for with Michael, you know, politician, a senator, maybe even a president. It's like, you can't help but, you know, thinking about in this context That would just be another thing to benefit Vito because then he's got a son. You know, you you look at the possibilities of corruption there. And, you know, is, and he knows Michael as well as anybody in terms of his loyalty to family. Is that another sense of, you know, we're not going to bring Michael into the family business? But we're also not going to keep him on. We're going to keep them on a relatively short leash too.
1: Yeah, there, there's an interest in the future there, and maybe not, not uh, entirely related to that point. But something that I remember from that uh, conversation about the senator, you know, senator, um, senator Corleone, governor Corleone, is that Vito says to to uh, to Michael. I, I I thought you were you were gonna be the one who holds the strings. Yeah. But later on, and and, and like I said, we, we see this here, but maybe more in the in the second part, uh, who's actually holding the strings? I mean, yeah. all the time, you know that that the Corleone and the, and to a certain extent, which is maybe a reality in 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 the America that we're talking about, who holds the strings? Is it the politicians or is it the powerful uh, businessmen and 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 Businessmen, uh, uh, legal businessmen, and illegal businessmen are they the ones that are holding the strings, you know, the like corporations, the uh, underworld, and whatever. Uh, they are the ones that are moving the pawns around and buying politicians so they can decide on their favors.
0: And I think that is probably one of the reasons why the Godfather still endures so much, is that those, you know, unfortunately, those themes have not really gone away from. The idea of society, and this was this was like right around the time of you know this was not quite Watergate when the movie came out, but like certainly the second one was right smack in the middle of Watergate. So you have this idea of corruption, you have this idea of uh, strong people, and I mean by that point, even even by that point, you kind of had a feeling of who Nixon was as a politician and it's it's just really it's really fascinating to see that these and, and kind of depressing to see how these ideas are still relevant and you know, even, even away from those ideas Coppola has still managed to make them a movie that is profoundly seductive as, on an entertainment level as well as an artistic level and uh, it's you know the the God. That's one of the reasons why The Godfather is still going to endure. That's why, you know. I mean, you know, even with great gangster movies afterwards, like Goodfellas, like The Departed. I mean, The Godfather will always stand just a little bit above those because of the fact that it's it's done something. You know, Scorsese does the same kind of thing. I think in Goodfellas, been a very different way, but the way that Coppola does it in The Godfather is just it's it's singular. And I I think you know it it really just it it takes the pulp aspects of what crime films were before it and elevates it into a level of art that has really transformed everything that's come after it.
1: Definitely, definitely agree. Um, I don't think, I mean, obviously, I love the film, and, and, and obviously, it ranks very, very highly for me in my personal uh, favorite films. So, I agree, it's an iconic film in pretty much every aspect from direction to writing to performance, which we mentioned. I mean, uh, I, I can't think of a, of a single week performance on it um, editing, uh, the editing is perfect, cinematography uh, I mean I, I really can't think of of a single flaw in that film so yeah. uh, you can see how it serves as uh, a stepping stone for other filmmakers and as an inspiration for anybody that wanted to make not just a crime film but any film
0: Yeah. No absolutely and uh, Carlo it's been a lot of fun talking to you about the Godfather today and I, I look forward to the next time we uh, have a discussion coming up.
1: Definitely thanks for, thanks for inviting me and it was an, an honor and a lot of fun like you said always time always fun to, to talk about one of my favorite films
0: and uh, where where can people find you online?
1: So uh, they can look out the movie loot on any podcasting platform, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, um, Castbox, anywhere. Or you can just look at the website uh, tmml.busprout.com. Or you can talk to me on Twitter at tifcg or the podcast at tmml2021. And I'm always glad to chat with anybody that wants to talk movies, and I'm always glad uh, to to share my thoughts and, and just uh, engage with people.
0: Yeah, definitely hit Carlo up on uh, Twitter. It's it's really fun to interact with him, and uh, I'm 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 glad to have gotten to gotten to know you and to uh, you know continue discussion that we've had discussions we've had on Twitter and podcast form between our two shows. So uh, yeah, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day.
0: Hey, this is David from the Piecing It Together podcast, a podcast about movies and the movies that inspire them. For over four years each week, a guest and I take a look at a new movie through the lens of what other movies we think were either an influence or connect in some other way. It's a fun, unique way to discuss films that leads to a great list of other movies to check out that either explore the same themes and ideas or maybe utilize similar filmmaking techniques. Including special episodes in our side series that twist the format, we've done over 200 episodes, so there's bound to be one on a film you've been thinking about and want to dig deeper into. So check us out on all the major podcasting apps and at piecingpod.com. I'd like to thank Carlo for his time to talk about The Godfather. It is always good to talk to him. And check out his podcast, The Movie Loot. It's a really fun premise for... A podcast and check out our discussion on Silent Cinema. On that, it was really terrific, and it kind of exciting to get into that discussion. This is going to be a busy uh, couple of months for the Silent Cinema podcast. Uh, we've got our annual Oscar discussion, which will also include a guest for the first time, and uh, we're also going to uh, bring somebody new onto the podcast, and we're going to talk about baseball movies and Tim Cox is going to join us and we are going to talk about some more established classics for now this is Brian Scuttle thank you very much for listening to the Sonic Cinema Podcast wherever you listen and join us again at (laughs) www.sonic-cinema.com